0: I am Sam, an alcoholic. I
1: am. Lots <laughs> 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 A
0: lot of brain damage here. Yeah. <laughs> took me out to eat tonight. It's colder than hell out there. It's colder than an Al-Anon's heart, I believe. <laughs> I know there's alanons here. I can feel you releasing me.
1: Yeah.
0: I know what happens when a whole group of them releases you. Don't look in the mirror. There's no reflection at all. They can really do a number on you. You know, dangerous people. They drink and work the steps. Yeah. <laughs> scares the shit out of me <laughs> I'm in a mood tonight Are you guys in a mood? I hope so Yeah, come on let's, Yeah yeah. Let's have a good time I've been out mixing and mingling With so-called normal people For two whole days I know I've had more fun Doing 30 days in jail I know I've had better flashbacks You so. I'm the world's oldest living teenager. I've been 17 years old for 50 years. I got stuck back there someplace. But I'm a reluctant child. You know, I was a reluctant birth. I did not want to come out of that womb. Uh uh uh. I was comfortable in there. I didn't have to speak to anybody, (laughs) I didn't have to make up excuses for what I was doing. If I'd had a light and something to read, I never would have come out. (laughs) The only reason I did is because I'd written on all the walls. What are you
1: doing?
0: Denny, what are you doing? I know I know Denny's doing that. (laughs) Is that okay now, Denny? Are we all right? Okay. Well, I'm afraid of things electrical. I had two uncles went to the electric chair. <laughs> you Never know. <laughs> anyway, let's have a good time tonight. I've had enough uh, troubles this week. I'm sure you have too. Let's enjoy ourselves here. Uh, we uh, have a chance to get together. I don't know where you guys have been on a Friday or a Saturday night, but I've been in a lot of jails. <laughs> That's where I usually spent my time. I was a big shit magnet for the cops. Just here they come. <laughs> I thought my name was get in the car, punk. Anyway, I was a rotten, obnoxious kid. I got into trouble. I manipulated both my parents at the same time, one against the other. I was busy. I knew how to do that. I got into all kinds of trouble, so my mother decided to send me away for the cure. Her cure was Eight years in a Catholic school where I majored in guilt. By the time I was there two years, I had that guilt thing down pretty good, I knew how to do that. I had a minor in shame. I was a dirty mouth little kid so I taught the nuns a lot of new words. They were busy with their beads. I could. I knew they were praying for me. They had to be because I was so obnoxious to those poor women. I had to go out and visit a lot of graves and take flowers out to these poor old nuns, what I had done to them. And I, I watched my family drink, and I promised myself I ain't going to be like them. No way. Am I going to end up like that? So I ain't going to drink. And I knew enough not to smoke, too, because I, I knew they were smoking some of that Mary Joanna, and I wasn't gonna mess with that either and they were into some other things too uh, so you see I don't identify with people who specialize <laughs> I figured if you're gonna do it, do it Denny at the controls again you're gonna get it right this time Denny? he's from Price Hill, don't expect much <laughs> Want to make you feel welcome, Denny? Yeah. Sounds better now. You've greatly improved my voice. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did my time in this Catholic school, and I got out, and I was in the family business, which was stealing. <laughs> so I, I went straight from the Catholic school to the reform school,
1: <laughs>
0: and I couldn't hardly tell them apart. <laughs> uniforms, the discipline, same thing. But while I was in the reform school, I went through puberty in about 20 minutes. And so when I got out of there, I was nothing but a horny little kid loose on the streets with nothing but a hard-on and a bad attitude. No place to put either one. Which was pretty much what I brought to Alcoholics Anonymous some years later <laughs> not much had changed <laughs> when I was 18 years old I was arrested for a lot of felonies I was guilty of every one of them they threw me in the small t- uh, town county jail right up the road here to uh, wait time for my trial and my Uncle Bill was in there doing 90 days for drunken disorderly my uncle my uh, Aunt Gussie was next door in the women's jails doing 90 days for trying to knife my Uncle Louis. My father came to see us on the first visiting day. I was in there, and he was drunk, so they arrested him in the visiting room. <laughs> <laughs> so Throw him in with us. So every time I went to jail, it was a family reunion of sorts. There was always somebody in there that I was related to. So I did my time. They put me away for that. I did my time and got out, and I still hadn't had anything to drink. So you see, I can't blame a lot of things on the bottle, or related things. I was a son of a bitch, and then I drank. And I was 20 years old, and I started to drink, and I loved it. And I realized I was a fool for not starting earlier. I also found the wonders of speed, amphetamines, I liked amphetamines, and I bullshitted myself that they enhanced my intelligence. Go <laughs> heads are the worst liars in the world, the very worst. And so, you see what they did, they speeded up my mouth. So I had an amphetamine mouth and a Demerol brain, and got into lots of trouble. I heard those familiar words, you son of a bitch, get out of here and don't you ever come back. That was in bars where I didn't owe money even. That happened. By the time I was 23, 24 years old, people sitting on the bar stool next to me were saying, you ought to quit drinking. And when somebody in the Skid Row bar says that to you, <laughs> it's a clue. Cause I used to drink in a bar up here in a little town. It was a high class place had a sign up said, Men's Room, you open the door, you're in the parking lot.
1: <laughs>
0: so I, I don't know anything about high-class bars. I never really was in one except by accident. I never messed with mixed drinks except what I mixed, which was a usual mess. I did it all. I took everything I could get my hands on. And I loved all kinds of drugs. I don't care what they were. I loved them. I heard a guy around here today I was sitting around a table out here and he was talking about these old uh, inhalers we used to get years ago and they'd tear them up and put them in a Coca-Cola. You get an uh, inhaler for 77 cents in those days and god damn you get a pretty good high. I mean it was a cheap high. And I loved those things but they took them off the market. I wore a black armband for a year. <laughs> yeah. okay those things came out of a pharmaceutical house in philadelphia smith klein and french i used to send them a christmas card every year I was grateful for their product <laughs> kept me alive <laughs> i drank every day i mixed uh, the whole thing and i am drinking with the winos putting down those goddamn drug addicts up the street and i'm messing around with the drug addicts talking about those damn winos you see what they're doing up there terrible i hope i never get that bad and here i'm mixing and mingling with all of them see i was uh, I didn't care what it was. It might work. And I tried all the new things. I read those pharmaceutical books. I, let's try this new one. It's coming out. I'm going to get some of it and rock it to the moon or wherever I wanted to go because I didn't like this world. I didn't like it at all. But I got into a lot of trouble where I lived. I'm, I'm finally off parole and I got into all kinds of trouble there. And so I moved to right up the road here, beautiful coming to Newport. <laughs> In those days, liquor stores were open seven days a week. You could buy marijuana in the liquor stores. some of them up there. And I mean to tell you, I thought I'd found it. Now, I hung around with a bunch of Italians that owned an Italian restaurant and bar over there, and I thought they were gangsters. They weren't. They were just Italians.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I hung around. I'm a
0: gangster. Yeah, I'm going to be a gangster. (laughs) They were just Italians. Anyway, somebody got in a fight in front of the place one night, and one shot the other one, and I'm standing there. I'm a witness to a killing. Well, I knew what to do about that When in doubt, get the hell out of there And So I reeled in my umbilical cord and Went home to Mama Mama had been to Al-Anon Yep, she had those little beady eyes And that smile She got me up against the wall And released my ass right now Said you can stay here a couple of days And you got to get out of here Because you're loaded and I don't like it And I don't want to see it okay I denied being loaded of course while I was there my youngest brother came running from the cops and others and one morning he and I were puking together it's a family disease Uh, we were both in pretty bad shape and he says to me if our luck holds out we'll be dead by noon I didn't care I didn't give a damn. Then finally, after he's still puking and he finally got something to stay down, he said to me, well, as soon as we get off of this one, let's really go on one. i thought, like, God damn, I'm dying. i got to get out of here and get away from him. And two days later, he and I woke up in the back seat of a wrecked car in a junkyard full of other wrecked cars. Now try that on your paranoia. <laughs> It's all foggy and it's 5.30 in the morning and he's waking me up and he says, wake up, I think we've been thrown away.
1: <laughs>
0: I panicked, I thought it had happened. Society had finally caught on to us, and put our asses out there where we belong, in the junkyard. I moved to Venice, California, where I was to live for the next 30 years of my life and I knew enough to start at the bottom. I'm a lower companion, if you haven't figured that out by now. I started at the bottom in Venice, California, which is pretty much of a bottom. They used to call that town where the debris meets the sea. And it's... Anyway, I moved into the worst place in town. I walked into a bar there and I said, where's the worst place in town to rent a room? He said, across the street. He said, I don't even go in there in the daytime. Oh, that's for me. So I moved in there and I lived next door to a girl who was a manic depressive suicidal and so it was natural for us to fall in love. (laughs) She would come home every night from work and she'd brush her teeth, turn on the gas and go to bed. (laughs) She always carried three suicide notes and a razor blade for emergencies. And I loved the way she rationalized and blamed everybody else because that's what I did see she had a boyfriend she had to get rid of her solution was to shoot him he'd taken the bullets out of the gun she's standing there pulling the trigger aimed at his heart and he's not moving he doesn't care he knows what's going on but it's what she was saying to him she said you son of a bitch it's your fault you've made a killer out of a nice girl like me and I thought yeah look what that bastard's done to her forcing her to pull that trigger because I always blamed everybody else my family, where I was raised eight years in a Catholic school you'd drink too I was born in Indiana my God, I had to drink (laughs) just all these little chintzy half-assed excuses for everything that I did it was always somebody else's fault and by this time I'm getting a little age on me Well, I lived in Venice for two years before I finally did something about it, and I have no idea why I did it, I just did it. I called my father at Christmas time, which was the only time he would accept a collect call from me, and he suggested that I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said, what for? He said, because you're dying, ding dong. Get your ass over there. He said, what did you get for Christmas? I said, I got two gallons of wine and a 500 pound Benzedrine tablet. (laughs) I lied a little. (laughs) I always fantasized about one of them big Benzin dreams. Wouldn't you love to have that son of a bitch? Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, uh, he said, you get your ass over to Alcoholics Anonymous. Just go to one meeting, he said. And don't smoke any marijuana before you go over there. You won't hear anything. And I didn't know marijuana affected your hearing. Huh? <laughs> I always had my stereo turned up so loud, and I mean, people knew I was home.
1: <laughs>
0: the way, let me tell you about how I bought the stereo. More is never enough. <laughs> I kept going from store to store. No, that's not big enough. I gotta have a bigger one. I gotta have a bigger one. Finally, this one salesman says to me, "Look, I guarantee that that thing will do structural damage to your house." <laughs> I said, "Good, I'll take it. Send it right out. <laughs> we'll go into with it." <laughs> What, what, so what does anybody prove by all that Say, bigger is better I, gotta, I have a bigger motorcycle well I need, I need two of those I've got to have two motorcycles that's the way I operated I always had two and piggy piggy see I, I tried to explain to my sponsor I said you see I'm of an addictive nature and he said no you're not you're a pig <laughs> uh, uh, that I can understand he always translated for me he had bullshit filters in his ears but I didn't know that <laughs> at the time <laughs> Anyway, I went to a meeting and I didn't like it. There was somebody there, some woman, she was talking about she'd wet her pants twice and come to AA. And like, oh, really?
1: <laughs>
0: Wait till they find out what I've done.
1: <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> I went to a meeting the next night. It was pretty much the same thing. They didn't mention marijuana, I didn't mention marijuana. They didn't mention drugs of any kind. I most certainly was not about to mention morphine and heroin. (laughs) Told them I had a slight problem with the bottle. That's all I would admit to. So I stayed clean and sober for ten days. I went to ten meetings. I went every night. And at the end of that time, I smoked a joint. And I smoked another one. And I got thirsty, so I drank. (laughs) I got drowsy, so I took some amphetamines. (laughs) Of course, a natural progression, (laughs) right back into it. But I always drank when I took drugs. I don't know why, I just did. I always had to have that bottle of something there. I mean, it was pretty cheap, 69 cents a gallon or whatever the hell it was. Anyway, uh, that lasted a week. And I knew I was a lower companion, and I knew in the city of Los Angeles there had to be some lower companion meetings. So I quit one more time, and I went back. I asked a man, where the hell's a lower companion meeting? He said, Come on, I have just the group for you. Took me over to Pico and Alvarado in Los Angeles, and there was a meeting there called The End of the Line. And that sucker was the end of the line. I mean, there were some strange mothers in that group. They didn't read, the guy just he brushes everything aside, the chairman he says, There are no traditions here, it's every man for himself.
1: Well I found a
0: home asked for announcements and some dude stood up and said that he was in a depression he said I'm really getting worse he said I'm, I'm going to kill myself this week probably and I won't be here next week and I'd like to say goodbye to all my friends <laughs> damn finally found somebody I could identify with even though he was leaving <laughs> German says to him go ahead and do it you son of a bitch nobody likes you anyway <laughs> I understood that sort of thing They finally got the meeting started. You can imagine what the sharing was like there, (laughs) a little strong. (laughs) They taught me a few new words, (laughs) or at least how to put them together the way they did. A few minutes into the meeting, through the side door came three dykes. Two of them were sober and they're carrying the drunken one as they came through the door the drunken one dropped her purse and out fell a gun, a bottle, and a dildo. <laughs> Standard equipment for a dyke's purse for all I know. Anyway, the, the sober ones got to fighting over the contents of the purse that the chairman kicked their asses out and they left the drinking one there and she sobered up. And she never took another drink the rest of her life. And she was pretty upfront about what she was. She was six foot two, a flat top haircut, a tattoo on this arm of a Harley motor. That's and she held out her hand Hi, I'm Aggie the Dyke. And, well, we kind of suspected that. Sometime later, she and I went to a real high class meeting over in Brentwood, California we were sitting in the front row and she got up to go get us a coffee and the guy next to me says, good God, who is that? <laughs> I said, that's Aggie the Dyke.
1: <laughs>
0: he sat there a minute and he says, you know, I bet she could kickstart a 747. <laughs> Probably can. <laughs> Aggie always said that she was sober because she was made welcome at that group. And see, I believe that's what it should say for any group of Alcoholics Anonymous, I go to some meetings around, you know, they, Jesus, they got more rules than anybody I ever met, can't do this, can't do that, I haven't figured out what you can do over there, except lie, I disagree with some people that say, I've never been to a bad meeting, and I say, oh, I know, come on, <laughs> take care of that part of your virginity. I also disagree with people that say it gets better and it gets better and it gets better and I'm sitting there wondering what the hell's wrong with my program. (laughs) What has gotten better is my ability to cope. It has gotten different. That's what it has gotten. In some areas it's gotten better. other areas it's gotten worse because there was a lot of emotions that I had never used. I would not allow them to come out under any circumstances. I had to have control and it almost killed me. And I kept the defense mechanisms that I had as a child, and that almost killed me. I had to get rid of them, but I clung to them because they were all I had. And I didn't think the steps would take care of all that. I didn't think I could ever get rid of the horrendous life that I have lived as a child. Because I've had three psychiatrists tell me that I was the strongest person they ever met, just for surviving my childhood. I said, when do we get to the drug addiction? You'll love that part. (laughs) We never even got that far. I have nothing against psychiatry. Is, I, I mean, I paid a lot of money into. I've been to all kinds of therapy: group therapy, nude therapy, up yours therapy, primal screams, anal screams—all kinds of shit. I paid a lot of money for big fancy weekend up at Big Sur, California one time, there's a big psychiatrist up there, and he gets up and he says, I paid all this money, and at the end of this thing he says, well, you know, my philosophy of living can be boiled down to one sentence, living in the here and now, and all the rest is bullshit. And I thought, I paid $350 for that, because what made me mad was I'd heard it at the Venice A meeting two weeks before that, and it hadn't cost me near as much. And we had
1: donuts.
0: (laughs) The first meeting I went to at the old end of the line, I found a guy there that I used to drink with. And I thought, where the hell has George been? I thought he was dead or in the penitentiary or in the nut house. But here he is. He's in this damn meeting. So I said, George, will you be my sponsor, since he knew a little bit about me. But George had a rather loose program. Several weeks into my sobriety, George and I are on our way to a meeting. We stop to get something to eat, and George orders a ham sandwich and a bottle of beer. And I said, George, I think beer is a (laughs) no-no. He says to me, beer is a beverage, punk. (laughs) Okay. I got my ham sandwich to go and got out of there and went on to the meeting, and George disappeared again. A few weeks later, another drunk driving charge. A few months after that, another drunk driving charge. And he got three of them before the end of the year, and George was going to do a bunch of time in California. And he kept on doing that for some years. And several years ago he was shot and killed by a bus driver in Santa Monica, California. The bus driver shot him through the heart. And usually bus drivers just kick your ass off the bus or call the cops. This one shot George through the heart. Now that's a clue as to how antagonistic that he was. And so much for beer as a beverage, punk. Put that on your tombstone. Something happened like that in my family. My youngest brother continued to drink, never did sober up. On his deathbed, the doctor is saying to him, you are dying. You cannot drink. Do you understand that? He said, but I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> I, who the hell cares about that time? I told my mother to put that on his gravestone. He died right after that. He's 34. He's old. Uh, I said, here lies a non-alcoholic who died from too much drinking. So I don't give a damn about the labels. I don't care what people call me. Jesus has got all kinds of labels for us now, especially with the treatment center business going on. Man, have they invented some new words. I don't know what the hell those people are talking about sometimes. I'm just an old tired drunk that came to Alcoholics Anonymous and found a way to go that works. I'm still dragging along there. I still go to meetings on a regular basis. I still make coffee at meetings. I still set the damn thing up. Those are When I was new, those people were my heroes. Not to... I mean, there's a lot of flash in some AA meetings, especially out on the West Coast. My God, I mean, those people don't go to meetings, they arrive. (laughs) stand there and pose and look good and pass as human
1: beings.
0: (laughs) I know that from hard-ass experience. I've done that. You see, when was George drunk, I had to get another sponsor. So that's the one I picked that had the bullshit filters in his ears. Now, I thought he had the two requirements for sponsorship. He he was dumb and he had money. <laughs> I'm going to manipulate this old fool. Well, I didn't. I never could. He always translated for me. After I'd been here some months, I knew that that book was badly written. <laughs> time for an update, and I'm perfectly willing to help.
1: <laughs>
0: it's time we change these stupid cliches we have up on the wall. I said, what the hell does live and let live mean? He said, it means mind your own goddamn
1: business.
0: (laughs) Oh, I can understand that. I said, well, what about think, think, think? He said, in your case, it's with what, 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 so forget it. Well, sometime after that, I landed a good job and I made a lot of money. And I believe if you have it, you should flaunt it. And... I'm still a gangster. I'm a sober gangster. I go into Beverly Hills, California, I buy a Cadillac convertible and I paid cash for it. I don't mean a check, I mean cash. I want to peel that money out there, and I did. And I drove it to the Venice AA meeting, my little home group, and I pulled up in front of the door where you had to go over it, under it, or through it to get into the meeting. And I had told several people I'm going to get this new car. I walk into the meeting and there's my sponsor talking to a newcomer the newcomer says what kind of a car did Sam get my sponsor says he got a green one I said it's a Cadillac convertible you old wet brain he said come here punk uh oh he said there's two kinds of cars those that run and those that don't run have you got that so (laughs) saluted he'd done it again he'd saved my ass by telling me the truth and getting out of that corner that I had painted myself in, and I did that repeatedly. And, uh, the reason I fell in love with that manic depressive girl is because that's what I was too, you see. I, I loved when it rained and we could listen to a lot of singers that leave you with no hope. <laughs> yeah. I'm in another depression, but I didn't want to tell anybody about it because i got to look good. By this time, I'm sponsoring people. i got the Cadillac convertible. I am looking good. I had a big book that was an original edition. I carried it under this arm. It's red, see, and I'd always wear something black so you could see it. I'd stand near the coffee pot and look good. I didn't work with newcomers. You came to me. I was such a spiritual giant, I could knock an Al Anon down at 20 feet. If so I shook hands with a the newcomer, their whole right side sobered up. Right there. Strong. I was in a meeting one night where I, by this time, I had become such a spiritual giant that I was just about ready to put my name in the yellow pages under higher powers. My sponsor says to me, Your canonization papers came back from Rome today and they're unsigned. Oh. Sometimes he'd say, Are you waiting for a vacancy in the Trinity? No, no. But one night, a particular night at a meeting, I mean, I was a spiritual giant that night. I walked out of that meeting and, man, I glowed. I stopped in the grocery store on the way home and I'm standing there in the checkout line and I'm wondering why these people can't feel my vibes. I'm just sending them out. But they're not gay, these dummies. Then the line moved slower and slower. And then I reverted to what I'm really like. And then all I could think of was, if these son of a bitches knew there was an alcoholic, a drug addict, and a potential killer in this line, they would get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> all in a space of a few minutes (laughs) now when I have a good feeling at meetings I know that I have to go back there to get it again so I am a regular attender at meetings I am a participant at meetings I belong to some groups and I like it and I've watched people who stand around on the fringes and uh, it don't work you have to join this thing it's, but it's for everybody. Come on in here and join this thing and use it. Otherwise, it's just something we talk about. And there's some very glib people in Alcoholics Anonymous. We can talk very well. But what do we do? What happens when we look in the mirror? Am I really paying attention to somebody? Do I have conversations and communication with people? Or am I just waiting for you to shut up so I can say something important? My communication a lot of times consisted of alternating monologues. Between me and somebody else. Okay, your turn. Go for it. (laughs) I want to communicate with people at a gut level because that's where the healing seems to take place. And I have to be honest about it or it's going to kill me. I have to be honest about it. I, when I used to come here, I'd listen to that chapter 5 being read, and it says, demands rigorous honesty. I said, it's bad enough they want honesty, but then they put rigors in front of it, and then they demand it. God damn. <laughs> How the hell am I ever going to live up to that? I finally realized it's a goal. We can at least aim in that general direction. I don't have to put it in reverse, which is my tendency a lot of times. <laughs> My sponsor used to tell me, well, you go over there and work with that newcomer. I said, I hate newcomers. I don't want anything to do with them. God damn it. I'm just going to stand here. They're going to come to me. They're going to feel my vibes. He said, no, you get your ass over there. You're liable to find yourself saying things that both of you need to hear. (laughs) You're beginning to act like a newcomer again. Oh, all right. I learned later that it's easy to do work with newcomers and especially when you got a lot of gray hair. I I can grow a beard and and all you have to do is just kind of nod your head once in a while, because most of them never shut up. You really don't have a chance to say much to them. And I kind of like that now. Uh, I drove a guy to a meeting one night. He had about two weeks, and he got in the car, and his mouth never stopped until we got to the meeting. And we go inside, and he's talking to my sponsor. He says, boy, Sam is really wise. He told me some wonderful things tonight on the way. Over <laughs> my mouth. I couldn't even say hello. <laughs> but I didn't mind taking the credit. When they call in the night and they say, oh, I'm going to kill myself, i got all this shit going on. I say, page 64 of the big book, look it up. Okay, I don't know what's on page 64. I don't give a damn about it. <laughs> but they'll dig they'll into the book, see, and they'll think, oh, that poor old wet brain fool, he gave me the wrong page number. And they'll keep on going until they find out their solutions. <laughs> easy to work with, nothing to it. Have a good time here. Have a bad time here You're going to have that too There's rough times But you can learn How to cope with those things It's called living Not having your own way <laughs> Come on That's all we all want I want my home. way I'm still a little brat I see kids. Uh, one kid in the store The other day He's laying on the floor I almost got down there with him <laughs>
1: look,
0: It's easy for you <laughs> I have to stand here And look adult
1: <laughs>
0: I didn't like the kid anyway the one kid was there because he'd kick me this is in the grocery store and I'm in the checkout line a lot of things happen in the grocery stores to me I don't know what it is <laughs> this kid just hauled off and kicked me I looked at him and I thought I ain't going to put up with this and I stomped on his foot as hard as I could he's screaming and yelling and all I'm thinking oh my god you've molested a child you've got all this shit going for you but his mother just grabbed him and took him out of the damn place and the checkout lady and the guy who was sacking my groceries says, boy, we're glad you did that. That little shit's in here every day like that. <laughs> and No phone call arrives, so I guess I got by with that one. But uh, I sometimes stick up for myself like that. You know, I never did that in my life. I, I'm a guilt collector. I would always take the guilt and the blame for things. Never the responsibility, but the blame, I never minded that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would take it away from you. I don't do that anymore. I take responsibility for my own actions, and I really like that. And I have learned that by coming here. Now come on in here and use this thing. Have some fun along the way. You're going to be to some strange meetings. I hope. Don't go to the same ones all the time. Branch out. Go up the street and see what they're doing up there. I went to a Thorazine group uh, <laughs> some years ago in a treatment center, and they had a guy read chapter five. It took him 24 minutes. <laughs> We're sitting there waiting. People are asleep. He had time to slip and come back, he was so slow.
1: <laughs>
0: he got to the part where it says, we are not saints, he read it, we are now saints. <laughs> he looked around and smiled, he said, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> You're in for a rude one when you get out of here, ding <laughs> like think. But see, if I'd stayed home watching Slip-A-Vision, I'd miss that. <laughs> All right. Well, get the machine and push the button and tape the damn thing. Then you can fast forward through the commercials when you get home and watch it. That's what I do. I have never found anything more important than a meeting. Never. I get out there because I don't want to miss anything. I'm nosy. But I want to be there for the feeling that's in the room on some nights. And I've had some experiences right in front of me that I, man, no amount of money could ever... Buy anything like that, and, and that's the way it, I'm grateful that that's the way it is. Because I used to know a guy; he's a very rich man. He's a car dealer. lived in Los Angeles. And he used to go in treatment centers and bang his fist down on the counter. Give me the best sobriety money can buy. He says, and then you know, I went to one of them damn meetings and I bought that book for five dollars and I've been sober ever since. I, oh, uh, see what happens? Work them damn steps, ding dong. <laughs> so come around here and enjoy, it. participate in this, and. You'll see some wonderful things, and you'll feel it too, if you want to. I want my feelings to operate, and to keep them functioning, I have to come here to let them operate. Because my family's still kind of someplace else. I don't know where they're at. Even the ones that don't drink should. In my family, I wish they would. They're a little more amiable. I went to my family reunion this year, and my Uncle Frank says to me, When did you get out of the army? I'm 67 years old, Uncle Frank. I've never been in the army. I got drafted, but I was in the penitentiary. I would have gone, but they wouldn't let me out. Then he says to me, how long have you been wearing glasses? Since I was nine years old. Now, do you really want to hang around people like that? I don't. <laughs> Once a year, that's my limit, over an ounce. I don't want to mess with I'd better come here, where I see something that's certainly a lot more for real than anything I've ever been around Uh, some time ago a biker came in our meeting and he'd just gotten out of the penitentiary he'd done a year and something in there for manslaughter he was driving the truck and had the wreck and killed the wife and uh, his leg was gone and he's limping into the damn meeting and he's crying through the whole meeting and at the end of the meeting he says I can't stand it any longer is there anybody in here that'll kill me? I thought "God damn (laughs) this is a rough group but I don't think so let me look around here finally I sat there a little bit and I said well you settle if we just take you over in the corner and beat the shit out of you we had a a couple of tough ladies there that could handle that Uh, we stood up to say the prayer at the end of the meeting and he wouldn't get up we finally got him up and I took him to a meeting over in Columbus Ohio the very next day and there was a thousand bikers over there it seemed like it was probably only a hundred but it seemed like that to me I mean you look at them god they multiply Uh, but they were sober and a lot of them knew him and he went in there and just disappeared and sobered up see he found the place and I think about that I would have missed that if I'd stayed home now I can't afford to miss those experiences I don't think you can either I don't think anybody here can Get in there and experience what happens in these meetings. When I get out of myself, I am able to experience these things. And so I still have days when I, could, I spend the whole day trying to turn sloth into meditation. And, <laughs> oh, it's still called laziness and sloth, and among other words. And yeah, I still have days like that. And there are some days when, uh, Jesus, I just, oh, take that. (laughs) I even moved my neighbors not too long ago. (laughs) Then I found out they weren't home. Uh, Disappointing. What I'm saying to you is be a human being. Don't get too straight and narrow around here and becomes there's, we got fanatics up in our neighborhood some guy called me the other day and says how many steps are up to Dr. Bob's front porch I, what
1: <laughs>
0: who the hell cares god damn <laughs> I used to be like that I was too busy to live see I didn't want to experience a lot of things I didn't want to be a human being I, I would just soon be a fanatic of any kind eh? I'd be a fanatic of anything is that, that's the way I still buy things. I, I'm dangerous. when I, I have no business in a record store or a bookstore. There goes the phone money. Oops. I still do things like that. That's because I'm a human being. I used to be ashamed of that. I thought there was something wrong with my program, and there wasn't. There wasn't anything wrong with it. I'm a human being, and I really like that today. And yeah, I've had some rough times recently, and i got to tell you, I have had some great times recently. There are people in this room that I've known for a long time, and that I love, and that I have care and concern for. And I never had that in my life because my family wouldn't let me. There was no place to do it until I came here. Our book says we have to give away the entire supply, and I don't like that. I want to save a little for the rainy day, you know. (laughs) But my sponsor explained to me that's to keep the pipes clean so more can come through. And I I keep running into people that deserve to be resented the rest of their natural life. (laughs) (laughs) They come to meetings with curare darts and big spears looking for me. (laughs) But I put my resentments out in the garage or someplace and they mate in the night and multiply. (laughs) Come in in the morning and have pups on the kitchen floor. Okay, another day. Here we go. But I get up and experience it, and I know a lot of things to do to get rid of those resentments. And it's almost always because I am totally self-centered again. I have fallen in love with myself on a regular basis over the years, and so have you, and that's why we're here. So come here and get a divorce on a regular basis. Enjoy yourself. Have the good times and the bad times. And, I don't know of a better way to go. I always end up sounding like a pimp for AA. <laughs> but I don't know how to, I don't know of a better way to go than right here. And I'm nosy. I have tried a lot of other ways. Believe me, I spent a lot of money on different things trying to buy it. But it was right here all the time. It was too simple. Let's complicate this thing. That was my motto. (laughs) Stir it all up, stir shit. and Complicate it all the time, but not anymore. Come on in here and be the human being that perhaps we were all meant to be. When it gets right down to it, you've got a great way to go if you'll do it, especially you younger people. I've been sober since I was 29 years old. Yeah, it's a hell of a long time. No, no. Remember, it's a we type of thing. I have not done this alone. Yeah, I'm the one that had to work the steps, but believe me, I've had a lot of aid and comfort and help along the way. And I don't believe anybody should be applauded for saving their own ass. <laughs> With some, oh, I used to do that. I wanted, I had these big medallions. Oh, that's not big enough. Get a bigger one. This <laughs> is so three whole years on it. <laughs> But do that. Go ahead. Be an egomaniac. Get the whole thing. Get an autograph picture of Bill Wilson.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know groups in California that oh they have these things, you know. I, hell, I put the autograph on some of them. I thought here I don't care. <laughs> that crap ain't gonna keep me sober. Worth the nine damn steps. Don't get hung up on the eleventh tradition Is friend of mine once said, he said, oh, I've been working the letter Tradition, I'm exhausted. I thought, wait a minute, so anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films? Jesus, <laughs> you poor thing. <laughs> but I identify with that. Oh, man. I'm so glad to be here tonight to some people in this room again that I've, I've known for a while. And I like the continuity of that because I still don't know my family. They came by for Thanksgiving yesterday and it was just passing parade. We went by each other. Oh, hi, hi, hi. Really? Who's that? I don't know those people, and I never will. I accept that. I don't like it, because family means something to me. But my family is here. I can talk to you guys and gals, and something seems to happen. You seem to understand me, and even if you don't, you allow me to talk and get it out of my system we're the luckiest people in the world those of us that are in this room tonight and I know some of you ain't that's all right trip out Christ! I don't know how to do that Christ the minute somebody walks in then I think oh my God and before the meeting's over we've had two and a half children go ahead get out there and do it how are you going to learn about relationships if you don't have one Get out there and do it. You're going to get burnt.
1: It's
0: what meetings are for. you got binoculars, put them down. Giant says, We all lurch along the murky road of happy destiny together. I know the book says, Trudge for you purists. I lurch. I'm all over the murky road of happy destiny I don't even know where it is on some days I need a CI newcomer to get to the meetings they think we're saving their asses I don't know other way around my sponsor used to explain to me he said the sponsorship is for the benefit of both of us I said really? well what am I going to teach you? You say, well, mostly you're going to serve as a bad example. I don't mind doing
1: that.
0: (laughs) I've had a good time being here tonight, and I hope you have too, and I think that's the message here. Let's remember to have a good time around here. I know it's serious. My God, I've had the most serious life of anybody ever met. I don't give a damn about that. I know I was an angry kid. I came out of the womb like this. The doctor grabbed my finger and pulled me out.
1: (laughs) I had to leave.
0: I'd written that four-letter word on all the walls. So have a good time while you're here and stay here because I don't know of any place else that's got quite the life-giving force that seems to be in our meetings and in our 12 steps. So those of us that are here in the room tonight, we're pretty lucky. So let's keep that luck going. That's it.